0: The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Delta Airlines, the commercial airline the U.S. military trusts to perform maintenance on its aircraft. Learn more at deltatakingaction.com. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, November 9th. In today's news, Matt Whitaker's associates say he won't let Bob Mueller subpoena Donald Trump. The president moves to formally deny asylum to migrants as the Ninth Circuit thwarts his move to end DACA. And the shooter in Thousand Oaks was an ex-Marine who had fought in Afghanistan. But first, the big idea. As Nancy Pelosi expressed total confidence that she will retake the Speaker's gavel, fellow Democrats who oppose her scrambled to organize an alternative— Pelosi's opponents are especially focused on a sizable group of incoming Democratic freshmen who expressed opposition to the San Francisco Congresswoman on the campaign trail. Some of those members have said they won't vote for Pelosi under any circumstance, whether in an internal party vote this month or in a floor vote in January to choose a speaker. Others have been more circumspect, calling for new leadership, but stopping short of ruling out supporting Pelosi eventually. But arithmetic is everything. With Democrats on track to claim a roughly 12-seat majority as votes continue to be counted, those members and their resolve could be decisive. In past elections, Pelosi's been able to rely on the niceties of Capitol Hill politics, which dictate that after any internal party vote, lawmakers drop objections that they might have and cast their votes for who their colleagues chose. In 2016, for example, 63 Democrats opposed Pelosi in a closed-door caucus meeting, but only four did so on the House floor publicly. Mike DeBonis, who covers the chamber full-time for us, says Pelosi can't count on that scenario this time. Indeed, the anti-Pelosi faction, which is led by three members, Seth Moulton from Massachusetts, Kathleen Rice from New York, and Tim Ryan from Ohio, say that at least a dozen incumbent Democrats would vote to oppose Pelosi on the floor, and they think about as many freshmen could be persuaded to join them. Pelosi allies, however, say only a handful will ultimately oppose her, especially with no declared alternative. Meanwhile, on Thursday, Democrats maneuvered for position in down-ballot races below Pelosi, hoping to claim a sliver of power as the party gets its first majority in eight years. One especially closely watched race is for Democratic caucus chairman, and it was upended yesterday by the entry of Hakeem Jeffries, a young African-American congressman from Brooklyn, who's been eager to climb the leadership ranks. Linda Sanchez from California dropped out after her husband was indicted on serious federal corruption charges. Sanchez herself wasn't implicated in wrongdoing, but she said in a statement that she needed to focus on these family matters. That means Jeffries will face Barbara Lee, who is from California, and she's an outspoken liberal. She's also a fellow member of the Congressional Black Caucus, which complicates things. In another contested race, Diana DeGette from Colorado is challenging Jim Clyburn for the number three majority whip post. On the other side of the aisle, the GOP's losses in the midterms have actually made it easier for Kevin McCarthy from California to win their top leadership post of House Minority Leader. The big news on the GOP side yesterday was that Kathy McMorris-Rogers, who represents Spokane, announced that she will not seek another term as chair of the House Republican Conference. That clears the way for Liz Cheney, the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, to join the Republican leadership team. Cheney just got elected in 2016 to represent Wyoming, and she's been plotting behind the scenes for the last year or so, using her family's considerable influence on K Street and with the party establishment to lay the groundwork for a bid against McMorris-Rogers. While the plotting continues on Capitol Hill, there are several elections from Tuesday that remain uncalled. Florida's Senate and governor's race may both be headed toward recounts, as Republican leads narrowed to less than 0.5% in each. In the Arizona Senate race, Democrat Kirsten Cinema has taken a narrow lead over Republican Martha McSally, with fewer than 10,000 votes separating them as of last night. It's too soon to know who will ultimately prevail since tens of thousands of mail-in ballots still need to be counted. And in Georgia, Republican Brian Kemp resigned as Secretary of State and declared victory in the governor's race, even as Democrat Stacey Abrams stood by her assertion that enough uncontested ballots remained to force a runoff. Democratic National Committee Chairman Tom Perez says that Democrats are deploying lots of boots on the ground in Georgia, but they're not troops, they're lawyers. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one Acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker does not intend to recuse himself from overseeing special counsel Bob Mueller's investigation. This latest development comes despite the fact that Whitaker has written opinion pieces about the investigation and is a close friend and political ally of a key grand jury witness. Two people close to Whitaker said Thursday that not only won't he recuse himself, but they also say that he's deeply skeptical of any effort to force the president's testimony through a subpoena. If Whitaker were to take the threat of a subpoena off the table, it completely alters the equilibrium between Trump's legal team and Mueller's team of prosecutors. It significantly reduces the chances that the president will ever sit for an interview because Trump would have no incentive to voluntarily cooperate if he knows Whitaker won't let Mueller compel him to. A lot of serious legal scholars are aghast at the way this has all gone down. Not only Jeff Sessions being fired, which was sort of predictable but not a huge shock, but the way that Mueller is being neutered. Leading conservative legal scholar George Conway, who happens to be married to senior White House advisor Kellyanne Conway, wrote an op-ed in today's New York Times calling Whitaker's installation unconstitutional. He wrote along with Neil Keitel, Barack Obama's former acting solicitor general, that a person in this job must be confirmed by the Senate. Whitaker was Sessions' chief of staff, but he never got confirmed. That means that anything that he does, in their view, is invalid. And in New York City last night, more than 6,000 people took to Times Square to protest Sessions' firing. The demonstration was one of hundreds across the U.S. called nobody is above the law. Number two, the Trump administration formally introduced measures to deny asylum to immigrants, invoking the same authority cited in last year's travel ban as the migrant caravan approaches the southern border. The measures are expected to face swift legal challenges. Immigrant advocacy groups insist that U.S. laws clearly extend asylum protections to anyone who reaches the United States and expresses a fear of persecution, no matter how they enter the country. Administration officials said that the Supreme Court has upheld the president's broad executive power on such matters in the past. They also say that the restrictions represent a reasonable response as the nation's immigration system is drowning in what they characterize as frivolous asylum claims. Trump is preparing to issue a proclamation asserting the emergency powers. The rule changes will be made official on Friday. Meanwhile, in a big setback for Trump, a federal appellate court ruled that he cannot immediately end the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, known as DACA. The unanimous decision by a three-judge panel on the Ninth Circuit makes it more likely that the Supreme Court is going to be forced to settle this question. The administration has asked the justices to add it to their docket for this term. A number of courts around the country have ruled that the administration's reasoning was incorrect and kept the program in place. Like the other courts that have ruled before, the Ninth Circuit panel did not question Trump's power but faulted his approach. The panel's decision keeps in place an injunction from a district court that allows DACA recipients to renew their applications. Number three, more details have continued to emerge about that shooting at a bar in Thousand Oaks, California, which left 13 people dead. Inside the borderline bar and grill, people were line dancing late Wednesday night. It was a special college night at the bar. Outside, a man in black clothing approached the door. He shot the security guard with a 45 caliber handgun then he went inside. In the next few minutes, the gunman killed 11 other people, including a sheriff's sergeant who rushed in to stop him. Thousand Oaks is considered the third safest city in America. The shooter appeared to have killed himself after the massacre. Police identified him as 28-year-old Ian David Long. He grew up in the area, played high school varsity baseball, and joined the Marine Corps in 2008, the year he graduated. He served as machine gunner in Afghanistan from 2010 to 2011 and became a corporal two months later. He left the Marine Corps in 2013 and attended Cal State Northridge between 2013 and 2016, but he never graduated. He's been living with his mother. For many of those inside, when the mayhem began, there was a grim benefit of being young in America during an age of mass shootings. They knew exactly what this was, and they knew exactly what to do in the way that past generations knew how to hide from tornadoes or nuclear bombs. At least one survivor of last year's Las Vegas shooting was in the bar on Wednesday night. He was again just trying to enjoy country music. It was his second mass shooting in 13 months. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, November 9th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you on Monday.